Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Teaching Writing in College. I'm your host, Dr. Tom Skeen, and our driving question is, how can instructors in higher education leverage theory, science, pedagogy, and craft most effectively to help their learners with writing? And the benefit is for students. One thing that I would like to emphasize in the podcast is that um, it's really all about the students. You know, over my career, especially when I started, even before I started teaching and I thought, you know, I want to be an English professor, um, I thought I'm going to learn a lot by being in the classroom, uh, which has been true. And I've learned a lot. I really love learning. And that's part of the reason why I'm doing the podcast now is because I like to learn about my discipline. I like to learn about how to teach it. But really, the benefit is for students, and that's something that I think is important as well, that uh, the things that I do, the things that we do as instructors, can benefit our students and enrich their lives. And so that's one of the reasons why I like to do what I do. And this episode is about how learning transfer works for me anecdotes from 30 years ago. I've got some anecdotes from my time as an undergrad, which it's hard to believe for me, but it's been 30 years almost since I graduated with a Bachelor of Arts in English. And um, I've got some memories that uh, still stick with me today and some knowledge that I still use, even though you know I studied literature. Uh, there are some uh, things that I still use uh, as a writing instructor. And so I want to talk about those. They're from linguistics and grammar courses that I taught. But uh, 30 years ago, I've got some knowledge that has stuck with me for that long. And so just a couple of anecdotes here from my days as an undergrad. Um, and I want to you know, focus on conceptual knowledge because that's what we've been talking about, the Elon statement on writing transfer. Um, one of the first enabling practices is conceptual knowledge. Uh, that's going to be knowledge about writing. And in my case, it's going to be knowledge about linguistics and grammar. But conceptual knowledge is really important. It's where transfer starts. So for this linguistics class, linguistic, it was English 421. Um, we had to take at least one of these two, linguistics and grammar, um, as part of our program, you know, along with you know, several uh, period courses in literature, like three of them, I think, in English literature, two of them in American literature, or maybe it was four and three. I can't quite remember now. But... Um, we also had to take a linguistics and grammar course. We had to take a Shakespeare course, a, a Chaucer course, and uh, an advanced writing course, I think, for English majors and a few others. But um, linguistics and grammar. So I went into a linguistics course uh, with a professor, and um, the uh, course wasn't about uh, writing. It was not about literature, which everybody was used to studying. And uh, in this particular case, there was a reputation, I think, about this professor that it was going to be a hard course. And um, so I got ready. I went in, and uh, one of the first things that he talked about or asked us to do was to create flashcards for ourselves and to memorize some of the terms that we would need to be able to do some linguistic analysis. And so these were terms like the anatomy of the mouth, like what a dental is or what... Um, uh, a labial is or a, a glottal is and so on and voiced and voiceless and then there were different kinds of sounds like fricatives and stops and glides and so on uh, nasals and so he said you know what the easiest thing to do is to memorize those kinds of 
facts at the outset, and then uh, you're going to be able to follow up with uh, the ability to understand, you know, what's going on over time. So I went ahead and I did that, and I really enjoyed the course. I was successful in it, and um, he, at the end of the semester, uh, pulled me aside one day and said, hey, you know what, I'm going to teach this class again. Uh, next, well, it wasn't semesters, we were on quarters. I'm going to teach this class again next quarter, and um, I would like you to help me uh, with it as a supplemental instructor. Uh, my university, Weber State University at the time, had a uh, supplemental instruction program where professors could hire you know, students to uh, be um, uh, instructors and guide or not instructors, but uh, uh, guides, tutors for uh, uh, the classes that they were teaching. And so the university would train me, and then he could use me in the linguistics course. And my duties were to uh, sit in the course um, as it was being taught, you know, with uh, all the students, and uh, to be a resource for them. I uh, set up um, study sessions with them, you know, throughout the quarter, and uh, uh, helped them along the way, and I really enjoyed it. It was great. I had a lot of fun doing that. Um, when he pulled me aside, he said, you know what, uh, uh, the course uh, does seem like it's, you know, uh, difficult, and um, I think it would be really useful for students if they could have that kind of a resource, um, and I already asked somebody else, but uh, uh, she can't do it, so could you. And I thought, uh, uh, you know, that's great. I'm really happy to, um, even though I was kind of a, a second stringer, I guess. But uh, it uh, turned out really well. I really enjoyed it. Um, got a good grade in the course uh, and so on. But it all came down to memorizing that vocabulary at the beginning of the course. It was easy for me to kind of follow the lectures um, when he would be lecturing or, you know, we'd be doing class activities and he would pose a question. Uh, sometimes I could tell there were a couple of times I remember, you know, giving an answer that was a couple of steps ahead of where he wanted to wanted to be uh, with the class, but it really did all come down to that vocabulary. Um, grammar, English 320, I, I enjoyed linguistics so much that I decided to take grammar, so I took it also um, at the end of that year, in the spring quarter of that year. And uh, one anecdote I have from that, you know, the same kind of concept, you know, the, the, the uh, factual knowledge, the basis was really important. It made it easier to understand everything else that came after that. But um, I sat down uh, in, a, in the testing center uh, to take a test uh, for this grammar course. And um, I was in there taking the test, and I recognized a fellow student from my class walk in. And uh, he sat down with his test, maybe a couple of rows to the side of me, and it was a little bit quiet over there. I didn't hear the pencil marking, you know, sometimes that you hear in a, a testing situation. And um, uh, after a little bit of time passed, he got up and took his test back to the proctor, and the room was small enough I could hear what he said. He said, you know what, hey, I just uh, was not expecting this. This is too hard. I can't do it. I have to... Uh, uh, forfeit the test. And so he gave his test back and he left. Um, but uh, I suspect that what happened was he just did not have access to the knowledge because of the vocabulary. Uh, it, it takes some effort uh, and some 
some real work. And I don't think I realized this as much as an undergrad as maybe I should have, but understanding that factual knowledge and the conceptual knowledge that goes along with it is really a key to understanding uh, a lot of bodies, different kinds of knowledge. And uh, just by contrast, I also remember this happening in a couple of other classes. So a theater and stagecraft class when I was a sophomore, a botany class when I was a freshman. I remember struggling a little bit in those classes and not knowing exactly what was going on. And I do remember specifically in the theater class that uh, the professor there said, you know what, you ought to memorize uh, some of the key uh, facts, the key bits of knowledge uh, here because it's going to help you along the way. I remember that for sure. But botany, I remember the same kind of thing. That was a, a science elective that I could take. And I remember uh, going to the large lectures and then sitting in on the labs. And I remember just not knowing uh, some of the different kinds of plants or some of the parts of the plants that uh, we would be studying. And that too is vocabulary. I could have really benefited just from studying um, the vocabulary behind those. Um, so anyway, that's the, the importance of conceptual knowledge. Um, I've got uh, some knowledge that still sticks with me from uh, linguistics that we'll see uh, here in a little bit. I still use that knowledge today as a writing instructor. But um, uh, the uh, Elon statement on writing transfer, just for a quick review. Constructing writing curricula, this is the first enabling practice. Constructing writing curricula and classes that focus on study of and practice with concepts that enable students to analyze expectations for writing and learning within specific contexts. These include rhetorically based concepts such as uh, genre, purpose, and audience. And so having a strong understanding of some just some basic factual knowledge is one thing that the Elon statement is after. You know, writing is about genres. It's about purpose. It's about audience and so on. And just having a good understanding of those uh, can really be helpful for students and for instructors. My uh, definition of conceptual knowledge is just that it's an abstract understanding of something and it's based on a body of factual knowledge and connections within that body of knowledge. And uh, we'll kind of see that as time goes on. Uh, but we kind of have a model and it comes very much from the concepts that we learn about a given topic. And uh, re that, that just reminds me about uh, uh, Doug Downs and Elizabeth Wardle's um, assertion that we can't teach students to write, but we can teach students about writing. And that's really what conceptual knowledge is all about. It's about understanding uh, the way something works. It, it's understanding about something. And uh, that's really what we're after here. That's really what enables us with any kind of knowledge that we want to acquire. And uh, writing is a discipline. It's not just a skill. It's a discipline. Um, it's got a language. It's got some knowledge behind it. And so that's really important too. In the book, Why Don't Students Like School, a really important book that uh, I really have enjoyed and it's really um, helped me in my teaching and I'd recommend it to anybody. But uh, Daniel T. Willingham says, research from cognitive science has shown that the sorts of skills that teachers want students, such as want for students, such as the ability to analyze and to think critically, require extensive factual knowledge. 
and factual knowledge must precede skill. So that's an important concept in his book. Uh, factual knowledge must precede skill. And so it's really important for students to learn about writing so that they can then uh, use that knowledge to make decisions about writing. Really, that's what we want. If we want you know, critical thinking um, in our writing courses, part of the critical thinking is you know, making critical decisions about uh, writing and how one approaches writing in a given context. And so that factual knowledge background, that conceptual knowledge background for students uh, will enable them to make choices and to make uh, uh, reasoned judgments about what they're doing in their writing. Uh, and just one other quick example, um, I see factual knowledge and conceptual knowledge all the time just everywhere around me and other uh, for other disciplines or bodies of knowledge. And here just in the news on NPR uh, within the last couple of weeks I saw uh, this one. This was, I didn't get the whole uh, the title of the article, but it's about, uh, I think the title is Want to Understand Your Teenager's Brain or Your Teenager or something like that. Um, understand Their Brain is, uh, I think, the title of it. Um, want to Understand Your Teenager, Understand Their Brain or something like that. But you can see the date there. It was uh, May 23rd, 2023, if you want to look it up. But um, um, I, when I look at the news, you know, very often I see uh, this uh you know, I see factual knowledge or conceptual knowledge just being explained briefly so that uh, the readers can follow along uh, as the journalist uh, provides information. And so here we have a process known as synaptic pruning, which I never knew would have existed. Um, so what synaptic pruning is, you know, the, uh, the brain accumulates a lot of different synaptic connections um, in the early years of life. Uh, and then when uh, someone uh, gets to be an adolescent, uh, the brain starts making decisions about what kinds of knowledge to keep and emphasize, you know, what's going to, what does the brain think is going to benefit the person and what uh, uh, can uh, uh, be left out. And so um, synaptic pruning is about uh, sort of uh, uh, letting some knowledge go while retaining other knowledge. That's something that the brain does in adolescence. Then there's another one, uh, myelinated, uh, just means that um, uh, synapses are, those connections are um, insulated with fatty tissue, which not only speeds neuronal transmission, but protects from any further changes. And so there you go again, um, another bit of language there, just to kind of help somebody understand what's going on. That kind of language, that uh, spe uh, specific language, that specialized language is critical for understanding, even for lay people like me. So for transfer, I'm using linguistics as a writing teacher. So the classes I was talking about before, my anecdotes from before when I was in college are, you know, the, those happened about 30 years ago or so. Um, but uh, my uh, knowledge has influenced my perception of students' writing. You know, the issue of correctness always comes up I'm in my classes and in everybody's classes, and when I'm, you know, talking to other teachers or we're, when we're sitting in workshops and stuff, the issue of correctness almost always comes up. But uh, one uh, bit of uh, theoretical knowledge, we'll get to that in a minute too, but uh, conceptual knowledge, I'll say for now, correctness is based on a speaker's perception. That's something, that's an idea that I encountered both in the linguistics course and the grammar course. Uh, you know, language is naturally variant. 
and correctness is based on a speaker's perception. That's been really influential for me as a writing teacher as I've thought about how to help my students. So um, just to go back to linguistics for a moment, um, some of the knowledge that I remember and grammar, um, voiced by labial fricatives in Spanish and English. Um, so a, a bilabial fricative is almost like an F or a V, um, <clears throat> excuse me, but instead of being the lips and the teeth together, it's the two lips together. So f- that, that's a voiceless um, labiodental fricative, the, the letter F is, but a, a voiceless bilabial fricative would be it's the same kind of sound except it's uh, pushed through the two lips together instead of the lips and the teeth. And voiced is a B, or excuse me, a, a V instead of an F. Uh, a voiced labiodental fricative is the letter V, but then a voiced by labial fricative is the two lips together uh, in, uh, in uh, Spanish. But um, as it turns out, one dialect of Span- or of English, at least, um, uh, which has uh, been influenced by Spanish, it's uh, Chicano English or or Mexican American English. Um, uh, I th- I think the voiced bilabial fricative exists in that dialect of English, and um, you know it just along with that that and a lot of other you know little subtle variations in any dialect of English you know, make people sound different. And uh, then we have perceptions about uh, that sound and what it means. But, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of natural variation in language among uh, different dialects. And, you know, as we know, it's not that one dialect is any better than any others. And so, you know, they all uh, uh, have different adaptations uh, for different purposes. And sometimes they... Uh, do different things, but um, uh, there's a lot of variation even just within English. Um, another one that I, I talk about, about I talk about all of these with students. Another one is grammar, uh, pleaded versus pled. Uh, you know, we kind of talk about the history of um, regular verbs and irregular verbs in uh, English. Um, pled is kind of an older version. Well, they're both from the the verb plead, uh, but uh, pled is kind of an older past tense version pleaded um, is probably a newer one. Um, English, I think over time has been shedding some of its irregular verbs a little bit. And this is one where an irregular verb plead to pled has become regularized from plead to pleaded. So a regular verb, a regular verb, excuse me, is one where uh, past tense versions end in ed and irregular verbs are ones where the past tense, uh, the uh, the root actually changes. So plead to pled, uh, that's irregular, but plead to pleaded is regular. And um, I think over time, I share this anecdote with students sometimes, I think I've noticed, I think I remember uh, when I would listen to the news on the radio, I used to hear pled a lot, that so-and-so pled guilty in court. But eventually I started hearing pleaded all the time, and that may have been um, maybe because the uh, Associated Press uh, sort of standardized pleaded as the the choice to make uh, with that particular verb. 
Um, and I can't quite remember. That's something I should probably go look at if I can. But I, I, I'm pretty sure I remember hearing pled a lot more, you know, maybe 20 years ago or more. But another one that really floors students, this one's really fun, grammar, social media is versus social media are. I take examples like this and I have them, you know, make a guess as to which one they think is correct. And of course, they always say social media is. And then I say, no, that's not correct. Social media are. And they all gasp. But um, really, it is social media is. And I tell them that. And the reason is just that uh, language language has changed. You know, media um, is a word that we borrowed um, from Latin, if I remember correctly. And uh, the plural form was media. And uh, the singular form was medium. But um, when we talk about social media now, we talk about it as a uh, just as uh, uh, one thing instead of several. And so it's social media is. And then I talk about mass nouns and um, nouns that you can count. And social media is a mass noun like wheat or water where, um, you know, you could have a lot of it, but you still say it is. Or you could have a lot of kernels of wheat, but you still say wheat is. Um, so I talk to them about that. And the the reason why I do that. I bring these kinds of examples into my classes, and uh, the reason why is because I just demonstrate to them, you know, um, what we want to do is we just want to be dynamic because language is naturally variant, and uh, there are going to be things that are perceived as errors that really might not be, but um, the idea is not to worry about being correct. It's about uh, that sort of exchange between writers and audiences where there may be perceived correctness. Um, and so sometimes we'll talk about that. Um, but I, it really kind of set the stage. The linguistics course, the grammar course, they both really set the stage for me uh, when it comes to teaching writing. So uh, here are some of my perceptions now that uh, were really useful to me as a beginning writing instructor, still useful to me today. Error in ELL students' writing. Um, I don't see errors uh, in their writing. I don't see them as errors. Um, I see them as educated guesses based on their first language because that's the way that it works. If somebody's learning a second language, um, their brain is automatically going to go to their prior knowledge, and their prior knowledge about language comes from their first language. And so if there's something that we think is an error uh, by somebody who is not a native English speaker, it um, isn't an error, really. It's an educated guess. Um, language is naturally variant. Of course, that's really important. Uh, sometimes we can perceive nuances in language, and sometimes we can't. Same thing is true of audiences when we write. Sometimes they might perceive something as an error. Sometimes they might not. Um, pronunciation and other judgments for any speaker of any language is based on previous experiences with language, and those are reasoned judgments as well. And uh, power dynamics exist in writing and language, and so all of those kind of come from my knowledge about you know, uh, variation. And um, the linguistics course helped set that up for me. The grammar course helped set that up for me. And um, uh, those ideas, I remember them at the outset. When I was starting to teach writing, I was, as uh, when I first started in 1999, I was not as concerned about errors in my student writing or just trying to fix those errors as I was, you know, helping them find writing strategies to use. And so uh, that conceptual knowledge about language for me has created opportunities. Um, I can have discussions with students about, you know, the 
the the variation in accents in you know different dialects of English, um, or maybe the accents that uh, ELL uh, students bring uh, with uh, them as well. And so it uh, can just open up a discussion where I can ask students, okay, what kind of strategies can we use uh, to deal with uh, these variances in language? And it can also open up discussions about power dynamics in language and uh, why those exist. And so um, those are some really good starting points that uh, I like to, to bring in because students, I think, uh, need to hear them. Um, <coughs> excuse me. So just uh, to talk about conceptual knowledge a little bit more uh, here, because uh, I've kind of been talking about factual knowledge and conceptual knowledge, and I even brought up theoretical knowledge once. But um, Richard Haskell really has this kind of broken down in his book, Transfer of Learning, Cognition, Instruction, and Reasoning. <coughs> Excuse me. So um, he says there are kinds of knowledge uh, in his book, and he says that declarative knowledge, declarative knowledge, what something is, is the most important one because that's where all the others come from. So I've been using the word factual knowledge, and that's kind of what he means here. You just have to have a broad base of knowledge, like um, Daniel T. Willingham said earlier in the podcast here. Um, declarative knowledge is just you know basic factual knowledge about what something is. Uh, procedural knowledge is how to do something. Strategic knowledge, we're getting kind of metacognitive here, so self-evaluation and self-monitoring. Conditional knowledge, making judgments about when to use knowledge in context-appropriate ways, and those two really are, you know, reflective of expertise. Strategic knowledge and conditional knowledge; uh, those are things, you know, if you read other uh, works in learning, uh, those are hallmarks of expertise that somebody can self-evaluate, uh, that they can make judgments about, you know, when to use particular knowledge in a particular context, and then theoretical knowledge, deep relationships between things. And so um, I think uh, uh, what I've been talking about here today, some of that uh, gets from declarative knowledge possibly over to theoretical knowledge about the way learning works, you know, the way that I've applied that, uh, that uh, uh, we're not talking about errors, we're talking about um, um, educated guesses, or we're talking about the natural variance of language and so on and so forth. When I bring those things in with my students, I would say that probably is theoretical knowledge. Um, but uh, that's just kind of the way that it has manifest in my understanding of grammar and linguistics. Um, so my own use of conceptual knowledge to get uh, back to this idea of transfer. You know, it's transferred from my linguistics course and my grammar course from, you know, 30 years ago to my teaching today. And that was never brought up back then I wasn't you know taking linguistics and grammar to prepare to be a writing teacher I was just taking them because they were requirements and there was no connection to teaching writing uh, that the professor uh, drew up or anything like that it was just uh, uh, something that kind of happened but my use of that conceptual knowledge about you know thinking about bilabial fricatives or thinking about language as naturally variant um, <clears throat> That came partly about, the transfer came about because I found myself in a place where that knowledge could be cued. You know, I was confronted with, you know, uh, what people sometimes perceive as student errors, um, even early on in my career. And there were always discussions about that. And my brain would always go back to language being naturally variant. 
Um, when we think about medicine or business or other disciplines, you know, that hap- what happens for students a lot, I think, is, you know, they get some knowledge and then when they take another class or when they, you know, graduate and get into their workplace, they are going to, uh, they're going to be cued by the knowledge that they gained earlier is going to be cued by the context where they are later. And I think the same thing has happened to me. But I also think that um, writing knowledge, you know, even though most of our students are only going to take maybe one or two semesters of writing courses uh, in first year writing, uh, and then of course, you know, there'll be uh, students who take advanced courses or they go into professional writing or something like that. But um, writing is everywhere and you use it everywhere. And so I see that as an opportunity, even if we just have students for you know, a year of first-year writing courses that um, they're definitely going to be in a spot where they could cue that knowledge or where that knowledge could be cued for them later. And so it's just uh, important uh, to to find ways to help that knowledge uh, uh, light up uh, for them when they uh, are in those future contexts. And so that's an opportunity, I think. Just writing is so... Uh, it's just ubiquitous. It's used for everything else. And so um, there would be opportunities there for that learning to go with them. And uh, there are some strategies for that that uh, we can talk about. But my use of conceptual knowledge uh, really did, I think, depend on being in a place where it could be cued. So just in closing, uh, my memory of knowledge, uh, or my memory of, my knowledge of, and transfer of knowledge about linguistics and grammar it began with factual and conceptual knowledge. Without that, I probably wouldn't uh, be using it today. Um, bodies of knowledge rely heavily on language about that knowledge. The same is true of writing. It's a body of knowledge. It's not just a skill. Um, writing is a body of knowledge, really important. The question shouldn't be, can they write, which I get a lot You know, when somebody finds out that I teach writing. Can students write? That's not the question. It should be, what do they know about writing? And that has really huge implications for uh, teaching and also things like assessment. Um, Conceptual knowledge in the Elon statement is where the possibility for learning about writing begins. Without a good body of knowledge about writing, what things are, there can be no learning and no skill set that writers can take with them. And uh, coming up, what conceptual knowledge of writing can students take with them? Um, And I also just am throwing this in there because... I think uh, it's important too. Um, what does that have to do with our response to students, to student use of um, all uh, artificial intelligence in higher education? Because I know that keeps coming up, and over the summer, I'm sure lots of people are thinking about that, and and I want to think about it too. So, so uh, that's on my mind uh, for the podcast in the near future. What does conceptual knowledge of writing have to do with our response to student use of AI in higher education? So thank you so much. I really appreciate your viewing or your listening. And uh, please like and subscribe. And I will see you in the next episode. I hope you're having a great summer.